You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Modern Web Podcast. I am your host, Rob Osell. I'm an architect at this.labs. Today, we are extremely excited because we are having a party. We are talking right. about Party Town and web performance innovations with our guest, Adam Bradley. Adam is a director of technology at Builder.io and a creator and or co-creator of technology such as Party Town, which we'll talk about, Ionic, and Stencil. Adam, how are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Yes, we are super excited. Uh, we, we, when we first heard about Party Town and some of the things that you've managed to accomplish with this new tool, uh, we became instantly excited for a number of different reasons. And so we were like, we knew we had to get Adam on the podcast to talk about uh, these things. But before we jump into that, I think some people might have been surprised to hear that you are not only the creator of Party Town, but that you've worked, you work at Builder and that you have worked and on Ionic and Stencil in the past. So it's just sort of curious, like a little bit uh, to help people kind of understand what you know, if you can explain a little bit how you got into those things, but more specifically, sure. kind of like, yeah, what is your ethos as a as a developer that <laughs> okay. sort of led you down these roads? Okay, yeah. So, so first and foremost, I love to hack on new ideas. I love uh, seeing what you can do with the web platform, things like that. I've kind of always like enjoyed that that world, and that's kind of where Ionic came from. Um, I really started working with Max and Ben at Ionic like long ago. You know, 2013. Uh, we were working on jQuery mobile interface builder. So jQuery mobile was a way to build uh, mobile applications with HTML, JavaScript, basically jQuery. Um, and so we had an app called Kodaka that you could build uh, different mobile apps with, uh, but it just wasn't acting like how mobile apps wanted to act. And so that's kind of where I, uh, Ionic came from. It was kind of like, well, let's see if we can actually, you know, have the same type of swipe gesture, have the same type of page transitions, things like that, but still using HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And that's really where Ionic first took off. Um, that's what we first started doing with it. And that was uh, using AngularJS. Uh, so I think 2013, 2014 era, I was Angular 1. Um, so we heavily used that and then transitioned to Ionic 2 when Angular went to Angular 2, which was quite the shift, quite the adjustment. Um, and really, that was kind of the, uh, the start of the idea for Stencil.js. And so we built out Ionic 2. Um, and worked well and created Ionic 3, but every single time that Angular made a break and change, that meant all of our users also had a break and change. It meant also we had to spend a lot of time figuring out how to make Ionic work for everyone and their existing applications. And so uh, as React really started to grow, as Vue started to grow, as a new thing called Svelte came out, it became pretty apparent that there's gonna be forever new frameworks to work on, things like that. Um, and we will always be adjusting things. However, the components themselves are still the same. Right, so the the component, uh, the the HTML CSS of that component is really identical in all of the different frameworks, and so that's kind of where Stencil.js came from, is that it was more as a tool for ourselves to uh, maintain Ionic, and to create basically um, one code base that we can maintain all of the Ionic components, and then have Stencil.js as a compiler kind of spit them out to go into the different uh, frameworks. So we, so our first one obviously was for um, Angular. And so that was kind of that's you know, where most of our users were at first. Um, but today now we have you know Ionic React, Angular, and Vue. Um, and it's really working really well. And the the cool part is that uh, the code base, you know, just how we want it is really just, just one code base. And so the core developers of Ionic 
are only working on just stencil components, things like that. And then any optimizations we want to do to the different frameworks or the frameworks change like that, that's where the change happens in stencil. And so uh, that was uh, that was kind of where I really you know enjoyed working on things like that. And since then, I've moved on to Builder.io. Um, and at Builder, you know, I'm helping to kind of work on the open source side of things still. Um, I'm working with Mishko Hevery, you know, of the Angular fame. Um, and so we're kind of working on yet another framework, but this one's uh, quite different in the fact that it's, it's uh, and I don't know if we've talked about it in the past, but talk about Quick. I think he's been on this show before, uh, Q-W-I-K. Um, and so we're working on that, uh, working on Quick as really a way to have extremely fast, no JavaScript, just HTML, CSS response times um, for builder content, builder homepages, things like that. Um, and so that's been quite the challenge, a lot of fun. And this all bridges to the idea of where Party Town comes from. So we have quick working, we have a lot of demo pages of it, building extremely fast homepages because really it was just HTML, CSS. And then as you need uh, JavaScript, as things are need to be interactive, that's where it downloads JavaScript and makes the page, you know, be able to click around. But regardless, we can make that, that page extremely, extremely fast. But where we kept hitting a wall is that the moment we start adding like the practical uh, third-party scripts, so Google Analytics, um, HubSpot, Intercom, you name it. So I, as, you know, actual real-world applications start adding what they'll need for the third-party services, then also performance score starts going down again, you know, and this is like with just HTML, CSS, you can't get any faster than that. And we're getting bad scores again. We're like, well, what's going on? Like that, and it basically comes always back to third-party scripts um, have a lot of JavaScript and they're usually blocking um, and they really slow down your application. And then what makes it worse is that you normally have like 10 different ones, right? Um, and so the more third-party scripts you add to your page, the, the slower their, your page is, uh, which then affects user uh, experience, affects SEO rankings, all sorts of bad things come from somebody else's code being added to your page. And so this is really where PartyTown started from. It's like, all right, this is completely out of our control. We're not able to make Google Analytics faster. We're not able to make it a smaller thing. We're not able to make it, you know, do different things. Um, so how can we just like remove that from the main thread and move it into a web worker thread so that the main thread dedicates to just your code and then the web worker thread can be, you know, working on uh, analytics, uh, HubSpot, Intercom, things like that. And so that's kind of the the whole, um, my story so far of this last decade of kind of how <laughs> I've gotten to working on Party Town of Quick at the moment. Well, what I love about your story too is that at every stop, it's all it's all predicated. It jumps off of Angular. I, I love that this <laughs> Angular has sort of indirectly been the the locus of innovation <laughs> that you've yeah. your career uh, at least initiated some of these moves on. That's really yeah, and it really and it's really true too because even before I worked on Ionic, I was working on jQuery Mobile and using Angular JS at a, another e-commerce company like well before Ionic and, and Codica things like that. So Angular kind of always has been like the um, it was the first aha moment like right when you first see Mishko doing that two-way binding, it just blew your mind, and that was I think that was the big reason it took off so quickly. It's like if you think back to that, you know, 2010, it really was very difficult to do something like that with such a little bit of code. So, um, so Angular kind of was, it really was kind of the, the first mind blowing to me anyways, uh, framework that really made sense, really made things scale quickly. And then fast forward to today, um, I'll ease, I'll, I'll argue that they are all great. <laughs> you know, I, I know there's different camps <laughs> of, of yeah. which framework is best. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a heavy React user just as much, you know, I've used Vue just as much, you know, so, and like they all have their pros and cons, 
but reality is like we're in a, we're in a good time that they're actually quite well. If you've picked one of those three or four, you've, you've, you've done well, you know, picking any one of those frameworks. So I will follow up with that. Well, and I'll say too, that, you know, I, I came back to web development after a decade away, I was, I was doing uh, desktop development for a while and I decided I, I wanted to come back to my first love, the web. And I, I came back to a very different world than the one that <laughs> I had left. And AngularJS really helped a lot to, to, to make up for the gaps that I had. So I, I agree with you. I think it was quite revolutionary for me. And then I got to live through the, the framework wars as yeah. they were. And uh, I think also the bundler wars. Um, and what I love yeah. is that nowadays, especially in the framework place, man, these core teams, they get along so well. Like they really do cooperate with each other. They're all chasing after some of the same goals. Um, sometimes they get into the little tips online, but uh, it is yeah. funny that to the degree to which that developers will fight over their framework frame, favorite frameworks that is not uh, replicated by the, the core teams. They are all actually yeah, right. uh, really interesting people and they, they love to, to cooperate. So agreed. And definitely like bouncing ideas off of each other and learning new, like, you know, let's say it's felt does something really cool. And, you know, then the next one is like, oh, that was a really good idea. And, you know, then they do it too. And so you see a lot of that happening. Well, you see a lot of it with like React Hooks. I mean, not that yeah. React Hooks created that concept, but getting it shipped and popularized. And then you started to see versions of it in a different take on it in Vue and a different take on it in uh, Lit Element, which just released and so on and so forth and so on and so forth. So you're right. I mean, it's great whenever one framework finds a really key unlock for developer experience or user experience or performance, they all sort of uh, reimagine it in their own context. Yeah, and right. That absolutely. is what is really cool in this day yeah. and age. Well. Let's pause or let's uh, take one step before we go deep into Party Town and, and take that stop again at, at Quick. Um, yeah. You know, I think we, yeah, here we're talking about frameworks. I don't know if if that's how you all identify Quick as, as a framework or just a different way of building sites or an approach. I'm wondering if you can kind of help people understand a little bit more about what it is at a high level and kind of maybe the trade-offs performance-wise that you all are sort of emphasizing with some of the choices you're making there? Yeah, the biggest, I mean, Quick really is uh, drastically different conceptually of how it works. And this is, uh, and it's for good reason too. Um, the biggest thing is like uh, like click, click event listeners, right? You put your event listener inside of your component. And so to have that uh, event listener work, you need to render the component. And so once you've done all of that, you've kind of just welded everything together now. And then everything is all put together, but then you can start breaking apart with lazy loading. You can start to um, do all these different things to try to make things separate, right? But that takes a lot of work too. And then in the end, you still need all the JavaScript runtime to actually kick in, to actually work, to make things interactive again. Um, and I know I'm not really doing the best to describe the differences, but think of something like uh, Next.js. Like Next.js is amazing. We use it for just about everywhere. I use it a lot in Ionic. We use it a lot at Builder.io. Um, and what's great is that the perception of Next.js is extremely fast. You load the page, it loads immediately. And then in the background, it's kind of kicking in some JavaScript and it's kind of uh, converting that HTML into um, interactive uh, in, into interactive web page, right? And so what's good is that the perception of it loads really, really fast. But as far as Google SEO, Google PageRanks, things like that, you still needed all of that JavaScript to run again to make it work and therefore to make it interactive again takes a lot of uh takes a lot of resources and can lower your seo scores things like that and so um 
while it may look like it's extremely fast to make it interactive, things like that just isn't there is where it should be compared to if it was something that's just pure HTML, CSS, right? No JavaScript, renders immediately fast, didn't require any JavaScript to make anything work like that. And so that's kind of the big conceptual difference is that Quick never requires JavaScript to kick in. Um, it only has about, I think it's like 300 bytes of uh, uh, inline JavaScript that can be able to kick in things at the right time of when you need something. And I also say that like um, kick it in at the right time. It's, it does download it in the background and makes it available so that when you do want to use it, it would already be available. But that is also in the background and not in a different sense in that the Google would not penalize you for this type of uh, background JavaScript downloading, things like that. Um, so I don't know if I'm doing the best to describe it uh, at all, but uh, what's cool about it is basically we're able to, especially with Builder, we're able to convert all of the components that Builder components are already built with. Rather than um, outputting them as React up, uh, components, we can output them as Quick components, which means that the pages that are built with Quick, um, again, just HTML and CSS, no JavaScript required, which then as far as SEO is concerned, that's amazing. Like you can't get any faster than that. Um, mm -hmm. And that also makes a huge difference for user experience. Um, so as far as, you know, we're selling to a lot of, or we're making pages for a lot of e-commerce sites. So that makes a big difference there is that it doesn't take seven seconds for something to become interactive. It's immediately interactive. Um, and mm -hmm. so that yeah, improves the, uh, the performance there too. So, um, but then, but again, as we have these amazing scores happening without JavaScript, that's where like, but you just added two megabytes of third-party scripts to your page that we just made extremely fast. So now your score just got dropped again. Um, that was really the the reason behind um, Party Town, to, or at least the, this alpha phase of the research. That's where it kind of comes from. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody, or maybe not everybody, but <clears throat> perhaps many developers that are listening to this right now can certainly empathize or or remember a time when they were told, well, the marketing team just bought a new toy uh, <laughs> and they need us to hook it into the website uh, yeah. for, you know, for whatever reasons. And so, so you know, you, you encounter this problem or somebody on the team does, or you all do, and you're sitting there saying, well, we're, we're lightning fast, but here is this other thing, which is like the large part of the equation <laughs> that's dwarfing all of the variables we're trying to tweak. And so somehow was it because you had the first idea on how to pursue this how did this land in your plate as as the windmill that you had to tilt at it it kind of came down to like steve mishka and i were we're like you know we're up against the wall just like you know we just made this page extremely fast right <laughs> like and now we just added literally you know two megabytes of code i think with just hubspot a hubspot form is like 2.9 megabytes of code which is ridiculous right that's just Anyways, it's ridiculous. But regardless, it's out of our control. People do need intercom. It's, it's, I don't think it's fair to say, like, well, don't add third-party scripts, right? Like, for maybe for right. your blog, that's fine. But for a, you know, actual business that has to collect data, that has to market, you know, and has to, you know, uh, keep moving with this data that they're learning, you know, you need to have these third-party scripts. And so I don't think that's fair to say, well, don't do that. Um, and then, like you said, it really does come down to someone knocks on your door and says, like, hey, we just bought a new service um, and we're going to need to add this, this script. You know, like, again, like, well, don't add scripts, but reality is it's probably a good idea to for your business, you know, to collect that data and to be able to analyze that and make better decisions in the future. Um, but 
either way, all these scripts are being added to your homepage and they do make a, a big difference. And you go to any page, um, I mean, you go to homepage of you know, Next.js or anything, they're all scoring 50s, 60s. Um, and really it comes down to, a lot of it comes down to the third-party scripts. And so, um, so the reality is, you know, web workers have been around for quite a while. I mean, really could go back another decade and you could have used them in IE9, right? Um, the problem, you know, anyone who's worked with web workers is that it doesn't have access to window or document. And so that kind of just throws out everything that you, you really wanted to do with the UI because you can't, you know, access, you know, element sizes, get any information off the element. And really like things like Google Analytics, it wants to know uh, document title, you know, the window width and height, just little things like that, um, that it does access. And the biggest challenge is that it accesses it uh, synchronously. And so there are, so like Worker DOM is a project out there that you're able to access going between the two different worlds, but it's all with, you know, async await or with promises where you're able to say, I want document title, wait a tick, and then it gives you back the document title. Um, and if you code your app to work that way, that's perfect. That's great. The problem is I don't have access to change uh, Google Analytics code, right? None of us do. And the, the other reality is, is like that code is being used by billions and billions of people every second. Um, being used for every single use case in the world, literally, and billions of devices. And so it's it's built to handle the lowest common denominator. It probably works on Netscape 4, for all we know, right? It's built to work on, on, on anything and everything. Also, probably why the code size is so much larger and so much slower. Um, but it's built to work everywhere. And, so, and we can't change that. That's just how it is. And so that's kind of the big requirement, is that it needs to be synchronous, can't change the code. And so it comes down to it needs to be synchronous. And that's where it's like, well, that's not possible because post messages between web worker and uh, the main thread is always asynchronous and, and you need to have a moment in between there. And that's where this big trick kind of came in that we're using. And really, um, I can talk about the, the, the trick that we came up with that works well. And then also kind of talking about like, this is the trick right now. And really the future we're hoping is going to be atomics. Yeah, um, for sure. You know, it's funny too, because I talked about being a desktop developer and I once was given a task like this, that yeah. uh, I was told you're not allowed to recompile the software, but we need to deliver what was a plugin for the system that was just reading currently available data and had to do this complex thing. And I remember this process of just, of just scouring all of our public APIs that weren't intended to necessarily be public and finding any way that I could twist them or contort them to yes. give me the information I needed or to do the thing I needed to do without having to change the way that the code was done. So it's such an interesting mode of development for anybody that's never had to, you know, really try to massage something that they don't control. Like you really get yeah. innovative in what you reach for. So yeah, can you tell us kind of, I, I mean, I don't know if you have any ex funny examples of things that you did try that didn't work, but certainly can you tell us the one that you did land on and and uh, and, and how you solved this synchronicity problem? Yeah, it really came down to is like, okay, the fact is it needs to be synchronous and the reality is it's not possible, right? But there's, there's one weird trick, um, actually two weird tricks that the web worker can do that the other thread can't, that the main thread can't do. And that is import scripts is a global function um, that is synchronous in that when you request that file, it will synchronously get that file. If it takes uh, a millisecond, if it takes a minute, whatever it is, it, it's going to block that call in the web worker until it's done downloading. And then it's going to execute that script just like a script tag would. And the other one is XHR, you know, so like the XML 
HTTP request uh, object, the, basically the, the one before using fetch, um, that has the option to also have synchronous uh, code. And for good reason, the synchronous side of things uh, is not on the main thread because it basically is going to lock up your whole browser from doing anything until the request is done. And so in the earliest, earliest days of web development, people did use synchronous. And then they was quickly said, like, don't use or don't use synchronous XHR. You got to make sure you do the onload and things like that. And that didn't have the page locked up until the response is done. However, that was the main thread, you know, and so that's why that's deprecated. That's why it's being removed and why import scripts doesn't even exist in the main thread. But in the web worker, it is a different thread. It can be blocked. It can be waiting on something else and not affect the other thread. And that's kind of also the, the whole point, right? Like we want this other thread to take its time, do things over here, load everything over here. We really don't care because we want the main thread to be as fast as possible, immediately uh, um, react to whatever the user is doing, immediately load the pages, all the, all the requests or network requests are capping on that side. So we really do want to split things up. And we, it's OK having this side being a little bit slower. Um, and so with this one weird trick, basically, that's the that's the weird trick web workers can do is that you can synchronously block. You can make things wait on these responses. And so that was really the, the big entry point of like, OK, we can make the browser wait somehow uh, with these with this XHR request. Um, what if we use that combined with the service worker where the XHR request is to the service worker and then the service worker can asynchronously go to the main thread and be like, all right, get me the document title, gets the document title, comes back to the service worker, and then responds to the HTTP, uh, re the original one request with like, this was the data you were looking for. And then immediately the next line, you know, is synchronous. So according to the web worker, it was synchronous. It was one, two, three, four, right? Um, what actually happened is it, it got stopped at the request. It went, you know, asynchronously over to the uh, um, main thread, got the information, came back, responded to the request, and then continued. And so, um, I'll freely admit this is a mega hack, right? But what's been fun about it is that it really did prove out that like it's it's a viable solution to kind of move all of this code to a different world. And uh, what's also been fun is I've been able to, I've been fortunate enough to, to talk with the Chrome team about this. You know, they're excited about what we can do with it and really landing on like Atomics really is the, the correct answer with this. And so Atomics is kind of the next, um, is, a, is an emerging, emerging API um, inside that we can use that basically allows us to do the same thing, but kind of like the, the correct way, not through this uh, XHR synchronous request trick. Um, but again, at or atomics aren't available today inside of Safari. I believe it's in the tech preview. Um, and it also requires that certain HTTP headers are set, which is another requirement. So it's not like it's just a, a magical just works. And so that's why uh, the fallback of getting the, um, the service worker trick to work 100% is kind of going to be my thought anyways right now is that that's the fallback way for when something isn't set up with the atomics. But really, you want to get the atomics one working because it should be a little bit faster um, and less hoops to go through. So I want to walk through it one more time because, again, <clears throat> this yeah. is a really clever trick. But I think some people may not fully appreciate the the complexity that was solved here and how elegant the solution is but like you said so first of all this first challenge is you're moving something that thought it was running on the page itself that had this yes. sort of belief that it had it was running in the browser on the page in question so it could do whatever it wanted it could it could like you said could grab window or document it could manipulate dom nodes it could do whatever it wanted to do because it was on the page and 
um, that it was occurring at a particular part of that page as well. Uh, and so that it had guarantees about when it was executing um, and how quickly yeah. it was getting responses back. So the first challenge, of course, was to get DOM access or just page access to the web worker because the web worker doesn't have those things. And so for that, you were talking about you. this is a solved problem, right? There's these libraries. Do you have a particular one that you're using or do you have kind of your own hand rolled thing as part of Party Town? It's, to it's all that? it is all hand rolled. But uh, I will say um, Worker Dom was a big inspiration. And, you know, uh, Christopher Baxter from uh, the Google team was or from Google definitely helped me out with a lot of it. We went back and forth for a little while on, on different ideas. And so he was very instrumental in helping out with that. But we did land on that Worker DOM kind of has the opposite uh, concept where you want to run your app inside of Worker DOM. Whereas we, whereas part of Tom's concept is like, actually, we want the main thread to be entirely dedicated to your code, to your Next.js code, to your Angular code, whatever it is, to just your Jekyll website. It's entirely yours. And then the third party scripts, you know, which is kind of more of an asynchronous thing to begin with. So think of like Google Analytics. It's like it receives that a button was clicked and then it lazily posts that information to Google, right? It doesn't actually have, it doesn't actually block your app. It doesn't, we're not waiting on it to respond or something like that. And so it's fine to throw it into a worker thread and run, let it run just a little bit slower, um, which again is, might be a benefit, you know, it's like running that code a little bit slower. Um, and so that's the big idea is that, um, you know, like WorkerDom was, was pretty inspirational to this. The same with uh, Comlink, which is another project that, that allows you to um, basically do this, great the one. same thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Comlink, Comlink uh, you know, was also pretty helpful in like how this works. But the same thing is Comlink is, uh, again, it's synchronous. Or I'm sorry, it's asynchronous. Asynchronous, yeah. It's asynchronous in that like the data going between the two has to be, there has to be a tick in between the two. And so right. when you so there, document there's that a title, yeah. Oh yeah. So, so there's ways to wrap all of the DOM properties and, and calls that are being made so that they can happen seemingly invisibly. But the problem is that what was something that was synchronous yeah. uh, suddenly is asynchronous and code that was not async awaiting or we're dealing with right. promises suddenly must to be compatible. And so you needed to have a way that when somebody made that call and it did happen asynchronously, from the perspective of the person calling it, it just felt like the window or the browser was very slowly responding. <laughs> like yeah. it was just sitting there, it made the call, it was doing nothing else in the interim, but it was still waiting. And so that was the trick, right? That you, in in that wrapper, that Comlink-esque wrapper or the Worker DOM-esque wrapper, when yeah. you call like, I don't know if it's exactly this way, but you know, like you said, window.title or title or whatever, the the that piece then is doing this uh xhr is a synchronous xhr trick to get the data but in a way that the main thread is completely blocked is that is that accurate so like when it when when it's making a call to do something that it thinks is synchronous that is instead being translated into this thing where it posts to the or it makes the the call the network request that the service worker will ultimately intercept but it yes. does it synchronously so that it's blocked while it's waiting. That's basically the, right. where that. Yep. So the web worker, the web worker is blocked um, while it's doing that. And this is like one millisecond that, that it does this, which is slower than it should be, but it's still one millisecond. And then um, it does do a network request, which actually doesn't leave the network, right? It's still all local because it gets intercepted immediately by the service worker, which is part of the code. Um, and so while it shows up in your network tab, it really isn't a network request. You know, it even says that it's a service worker intercepted. 
Um, and then, yeah, and then that's able to, at the service worker level, it's able to then go to the main thread and get information. Um, the other big thing is that um, I'm using JS proxies everywhere too. And so that's also, you couldn't polyfill JS proxies. Um, they weren't practical to use, you know, three years ago, something like that. But in today's browsers, they're, they're available everywhere. So another big win. So basically, um, it's more, it was easier to do today than it would have been, you know, five years ago because of JS proxies, service workers, um, or basically the two big ones. Um, and so what's also kind of cool is that the library itself is about six kilobytes, and, which is pretty tough to do when you try to implement the DOM yourself. So again, the web worker doesn't have the DOM whatsoever. It knows nothing about document. Um, and so Node.js has this exact same problem. And so uh, JS DOM is the answer to that. So JS DOM is complete implementation of how the, the DOM works because it's, you know, again, Node.js has no idea how it works and it just basically fakes it all. The problem with JS DOM is that that's like, I think it last I looked was a one and a half megabytes of code. And so if we put one and a half megabytes of code into a web worker, it completely defeats the purpose. And it actually made it much worse. <laughs> You're back to where you started. <laughs> yeah, right. In a much worse position. And so we couldn't do that either. Like we didn't want to, we didn't want to like try to, you know, create, this is how set attribute works and write the code of how such attribute works and how class name works. And like you, you kind of want to go down that path, like, oh, it can't be that hard to do, you know, parent node and just look up the parent node. But before you know it, you've got, you know, two megabytes of code um, to implement all of the document. And then the same thing, the really what comes down to is like, you're still going to miss everything. Like, there's always going to be new APIs coming out. There's always stuff, other stuff coming out that you're going to always be behind. The code base can continue to grow and you have basically JS DOM. Um, so the other big difference here is that it doesn't implement the DOM. It rather just like collects up everything that happened to that proxy. So this, let's say that this object is a proxy for a document and I call the getter title, right? Basically all it does is collect like, oh, I'm an instance document and the word title was called. I don't know what that means. Let's send it over to the main thread to see what they know what that's all about. You know, and basically just replays that of it's like document that title. Oh, this is the string Rep uh, replies back to the, uh, the, the web worker of like, oh, the, the string was title. Like, oh, perfect, right? And so like, the that's the other big trick is that all of the the entire DOM and window and everything are all just basically just a big collection of uh, proxies, um, which is why we're able to keep it about six kilobytes because um, it really is just a proxy of forwarding this information to what would set attribute do? You know, let's, these are the two arguments that we gave it. Let's call it in the real world. The real world says like, oh, it responds with null. So then let's just re return as null. So like, Basically, it's always just forwarding on this information through the proxies and then through the uh, um, through the network requests to do that. So the first time that you executed this, you, you ran the build script, you refreshed your browser, <laughs> and then you started seeing the events go across. Like, can you describe what that felt like? Did did oh, you feel so dirty? Cool. <laughs> Were you excited? <laughs> it was it was actually pretty cool. I think it was document title was the first one I got to work. You know, because again, you can make it. You can do an async request and async await, you know, wait for the response, like big deal. This one was entirely just, you know, I'm in the web worker document that title and it responded immediately with the, with the output. Um, that was pretty cool. That was exciting to get going. And, and actually what I've been doing is um, in all of our tests, you know, cause we're testing, you know, post message and service workers and HTTP requests and web workers and, it's pretty crazy stack of everything that's that's going. So like, it's not easy to just use Jest or even Cypress uh, for this testing. I had to end up end up using um, Playwright, which is basically Microsoft's uh, puppeteer. 
and that way I can test it on um, Safari, uh, Fire, Firefox, and Chrome. And also Playwright has a great testing library too. So, um, so I have, I don't know how many, a couple hundred different tests that we have in the project that every time I run into something where like, oh, this didn't work, I got to fix up the proxy to make sure that it, it sends the information back and forth. Um, basically, I'm always testing it against what would the, the browser have actually done, you know, and testing it on the real browsers to make sure that it's identical of like it's doing what it's supposed to do. And, and again, like I'm not really worrying about implementing the DOM. I'm just worrying about making sure that the proxies is always sending the information back and forth correctly, you know, and that it's, you know, because again, once I start implementing the DOM, you know, you can have two megabytes of code. So instead, it's just, it's just a good proxy <laughs> in the end. I love it. I, I, I do think that I, I remember watching when um, like the Jason Millers of the world and others, and uh, I, I've, I've seen a lot of people try to move state management. So like a Redux or an NGRX to yeah. the off thread. I remember people doing a lot of work around seeing if they could move frameworks and virtual DOM to the off thread. So just seeing a there. breakthrough like this, I, I it is exciting to see that there is suddenly now another tool, another arrow in the quiver for all of the sort of platform hackers and the and the people that are building frameworks and tooling, um, another thing that they can use to kind of get through on some of this. So I'm I'm super excited. I don't know. Are there any are there any potential applications to this that that you're willing to share? <laughs> yeah. That you weren't already planning to pursue yourself that you think that this has inspired <laughs> you might be able to be exist now? Well it's certainly I mean if we're able to move Again, third-party scripts can be a bit slower, right? Like that's the that's the downside. It's like, well, isn't this going to be slower by you know each you know each uh, DOM access is one millisecond? That's going to obviously be slower. It's like, well, that's actually fine. <laughs> you know, we actually don't want third-party scripts slowing down your application, and they are asynchronous by nature. Like they they just collect information and they slowly post it to their to their service provider to their servers, um, and so. Again, like that's also why it's different than worker DOM is like it's kind of opposite, like the main thread is dedicated for your code. And so I think, um, let's see, we've talked with the, the Shopify uh, group a little bit on this, you know, so they were pretty excited about it um, and a few others. And so we're working with actually with some of our customers that we want to apply this to their home pages to really to collect the data now. And so that's what it comes down to is like, this is all well and good. Sounds cool, but it is alpha. It's not, you know, production ready. Um, I do not recommend you putting it on your homepage at the moment at all. Um, and so that's why I, I still have to put more time into we put more time into making sure that's running, um, running well and actually collecting data. So on Builder.io, we do have a few pages that we're we're running it on, um, and the data is coming through correctly. It is showing up in Google Analytics correct, correctly and things like that. And so we need more testing there. Um, I want to get the Atomics actually working. Um, so I think that, you know, so that's, that was another thing. It's like when I first announced this, um, there was a lot of people that had great, uh, information, great, uh, how to do this with atomics that has been helpful. So like this, another, you know, why open source is awesome. There's so many people that were, that were willing to help out like, this is how you should do it with atomics, you know? And so we've got, uh, a PR going with another couple of people that I'm working on to get that merged in, um, again, but that would be like, if you support atomics, if you're, uh, HP headers are you know, responding with the correct header to make the atomics work, then that would work. Other than that, it's going to use the, the service worker fallback. Um, but yeah, like I think the, it really will be, well, if I can get it to work, you know, production ready and be um, an actual version one out, 
then I do think it'll make a big difference in um, like landing pages, things like that. So if you just go to like CNN.com, right? And look at their, look at the network requests and look how much JavaScript's been downloaded and how janky that their homepage is going to be just because of all that JavaScript. Um, if, you know, I wouldn't say that everything can get moved off of there, but if you can remove some, right? If you remove some of the stuff that's like less UI heavy, that can be running in the background like analytics, um, then it will make a difference, I think, for a lot of homepages, no matter what the framework is, you know? So like it React, Jekyll, you know, 11T, you name it. Like it can really, uh, it can work with any basic HTML page to try to speed up your, your site and things like that. And that's what I think is kind of cool about it. Um, yeah. Great. So we've spent a, a fair bit of time talking about specifically Google Analytics and, and its applications there as it was the inspiration. But um, but we've been talking about this sort of being broadly for third-party scripts in general. So can you kind of explain to people that might be willing to play with this, not in their production sites, but somebody that's willing yeah, to play with it, uh, you know, how, like, what can they use with this? And are there limitations either by things that PartyTown can support as far as calls out that it'll allow it to make or any other things that people should consider before using it? Yeah, I think, so, yeah, analytics is, Google Analytics, uh, something like Sentry, with the stuff that doesn't have much UI are a great candidate for this today. Um, and those ones are relatively easy because they're not doing a lot of DOM access. They're really just like the button was clicked. Let's tell the server that the button was clicked. You know, so that's relatively easy. This The much harder stuff is the with something with a lot of UI. So my biggest challenge has been uh, Intercom and HubSpot, which are two widely used. And also both of them have a lot of JavaScript. Um, again, like I think it's HubSpot's like 2.9 megabytes just for a you know, two line um, form, right? And so that's crazy, but it's the reality of it. Um, and so I do actually have that working. The The HubSpot forms are actually a React app, um, which is which is mind blowing to me, but it's a React app. So the React app can work inside of it. You know, I've, as, I, as I hit little issues of like, oh, the, I think the most recent one I had was uh, custom events weren't emitting correctly. So I made sure that the proxy was fixed up for custom events. Um, and keep adding tests so, so it doesn't keep breaking over time. Um, but yeah, like really the goal is that there is just completely copy how the DOM works and not even copy, just like call the DOM correctly. And so if I can do that every single time I fix one little thing, then that should make it work exactly how the platform is supposed to work. And so there should be no limitation um, in the end. But, you know, that's that's the theory. I have hit some, just recently hit a, a problem with JSONP. You know, uh, JSON padding, basically that's, I'm having an issue with that with cores because um, JSONP doesn't have to worry about cores, but in my case, I do have to worry about cores. And so that one kind of did put a big wrench in the system that I'm trying to figure out right now. And like you said, trying to hack a, hack a better solution, which is kind of also a lot of fun. If, so if people are playing with it and they encounter these difficulties or they maybe get into the code and mess around with it and see if they can't solve some of these problems, like, is this something that you want people to reach out with? Are you guys... Or oh, yeah. is there already way too much that you guys know you need to work on before you solicit uh, concrete feedback from people? Like, how could no, you and that's involved what's... if they're playing around with it? Yeah, on the on the GitHub page, I do have a link to Discord. Um, and actually, I got quite a few discussions going on in the uh, GitHub issues. So a lot of the a lot of the issues have been solved because again, we're just we're just making it work exactly how the DOM's supposed to work. You know, just copy things, make the DOM do the thing it's supposed to do, and then tell me what the response was. And so in that sense, it's, it's been working great. Um, but yeah, the cores issue just kind of came up. So like, if you come across something, jumping on our discord and chatting up what the issue is usually the easiest way. 
um, to identify what it is and then really recreating the issue and like, and with a test that shows that this is broken when you commit this, you know, so we have, um, this is all CICD inside of GitHub actions that uh, you can make tests and have failing tests. And then I can quickly see what the, what's failing, try to fix that up, keep it into the repo so it doesn't fail again. So that's, that's what I would say is like, uh, I've got a lot of hackers in there enjoying uh, figuring out what the issues are and things like that. So yeah, jump in Discord and definitely we'd love to have you help out. Awesome. Yeah, definitely encourage people to play around with it. Again, it's just such a cool concept and it really does make your mind start to <laughs> spin on potential applications and, and scripts that, yeah, people would love to get off the main thread and just see how it works. So definitely, you know, try it out again. Try it out in your staging environment, uh, first of all, but uh, definitely play around yeah, with it. For sure. um, I wanted to go back to the piece, the future seeking piece. Um, so we know what we had yeah. to do with the platform now to support this need. Um, but you had mentioned, I think, Atomics as a potential future alternative implementation of this, so, uh, the solution for this problem. Could you explain a little yeah. bit about what that is and why that's going to be able to take the place of what you're having to do now? So the conceptually is kind of the same idea of like, we had to use this trick with uh, import scripts and X, or synchronous XHR to block the thread, make it stop basically. And then we can go get it some information get it from the DOM, come back with the information, tell like, this is what the document title was, and then continue. Basically, uh, Atomics is the correct way to do that. And with Atomics, we can kind of say like, all right, let's lock it for a moment, you know, and let's go get some information and then we'll continue it and keep going. And so, um, like I said, <laughs> uh, this is still just, I don't know enough about Atomics myself. I'm reading MDM docs every day of like how this stuff works. So I got to figure it out myself. But that's really what I see is like the, the future friendly way. It, like if we can prove that this works out correctly and we're able to have the proxies working correctly, um, the future I would see is that we are using Atomics to do the information. And I haven't proved it yet, but I would like to think that's gonna be a lot faster because we're not doing XHR requests. We're not doing more post messaging between them. So there's a lot less hoops that are happening um, than uh, the, with Atomics than there would be with Service Worker Trick. That's really interesting. I'm gonna to have to read into this a little bit more myself. I it's been a while since I've had to do yeah. worry about atomics. I thought when I came to JavaScript, I had given up this life, but uh, apparently they <laughs> are back. So can't kick it. And it's also kind of strange because it was um, not necessarily atomics, but uh, the shared array buffer was a thing that was in all the browsers like 2018 ish, and then there's the yeah. security vulnerability where they all the browsers quickly removed them. I don't know if you remember That's this. That's what happened. I yeah. remember everybody talking about them and I feel like they've just been talked about forever. And I was like, how are these still? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was, was it Spectre or there was some security vulnerability like oh, three years Heart ago. Heartbleed or Spectre or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, something numbers. like that. And so they quickly removed it. Um, and just this last year, uh, Chrome and Firefox have added it back and Safari has it in their tech preview of the admit back. And so that's like the big piece, big missing piece that I like, didn't know if we'd mm -hmm. ever have that back or not, but sounds like they got it fixed. And I think the big, the big difference is that you opt into it with a HTTP header and a certain setting. And so that's what, um, that would be one of the requirements for using Python. So, so again, if we can just get the, the service worker trick to kind of prove out the proof of concept and be the fallback for when you don't have atomics running, um, it can at least be like kind of the, the proof of concept to that, would this actually work? Can we actually do this? And so um, they are all opt in. So let's say you've got five different analytics scripts or five different, you know, third party scripts on your homepage. Um, 
you opt into which one you want to add it to. It's not like just magically just figures out which ones it needs to change because that'd be, it would never work. Um, so you basically, a script tag is going to have a, a type attribute. And it normally, it's either no type attribute at all or type uh, text slash JavaScript. And that tells the browser, like, oh, I'm JavaScript. Let's like download it and let's execute it. If you give it type that something else, like whatever you want to give it, um, the browser is like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna download this. I'm not gonna try to execute it. That's kind of the big. That's the other big trick that's happening is that um, all of your code can continue to be the same. And, you know, you read any analytics provider, they say, you know, copy and paste this script into the head. All right, that's just how things work in today's world with analytics. Mm -hmm. yep. um, that would be identical, right? So like I, I fought the, the the need to do a roll-up plugin or a Webpack loader, things like that, because that's not really how, you know, WordPress marketing sites are working. That's not how many sites are not building like that. They basically, everyone tells you to copy and paste some script into the head. So I wanted to keep it with the same concept there. Um, the only difference being that like, but also add the, the type attribute to be text slash party town. And so everything's identical, add this attribute so that the browser doesn't actually execute it. And then that's also a selector for party town to say like, all right, which scripts do we want to move over to the other thread? And so it does a little query selector, finds the ones that have the text party town, and then that's the one it knows to throw over to the other side without executing on the main thread. Awesome, that's really cool. So. For the for the last question that I wanted to ask you, you know, I don't know how to introduce this because I just think it's so fascinating. I don't know how much you were paying attention to the context in which Party Town emerged when it launched, but it was coming off of the heels of AlertGate. So for anybody that's listening that wasn't aware of this, there was a period in time when uh, alert or blocking alert was right, right. was removed from iframes in uh, in uh, Chrome. And it had been well announced and all these things, but uh, it, it ended up breaking some people's internal sites and it broke uh, some training resources and things like that. And so there was a lot of discourse around that. And in the process of doing this, there was a lot of talk about things that needed to be removed from the platform that were mistakes. Alert was identified as one of these. Others in the past had been identified. And one of the biggest that had been talked about a lot was synchronous XHR. <laughs> yep. And so... Lo and behold, I think not even a couple weeks or a month later, Party Town is announced centered on synchronous XHR. And I think a fair amount of the Twitter commenting around the time was, who knew that the thing that would save the web would be synchronous XHR? <laughs> so yeah. I love that you talked about how you've been working with the Google teams and other browser teams uh, to, to, as in the development of this to make sure that you're doing this in a way, I'm assuming that is supportive of the future of the platform and addresses the challenges that you're facing in the best way possible. But can you walk through that? Like, is this the next Moo tools? Like, is this the thing that's <laughs> gonna keep X synchronous XHR in the platform? Like, how do you see that? Or was that even a consideration in the development process about, about using this, this particular trick? From everything that I've, you know, from talking about with the Chrome team, things like that, it's, it's the web worker side of things that that's not, to be deprecated, not to be removed. It's okay. the main thread one where it's it does say it's deprecated. And that one I would, would say it's fair to, to remove that. Um, and it has been deprecated for a long time now. Um, and again, like if you block it, you you basically block your, your page from finishing loading until that request is done. And so it's, it's a good, I would totally agree with it being removed. Um, but like import scripts specifically is a synchronous blocking thing. And if you, in one of my blog posts, I, I did a GitHub search for import scripts and it's used by like 1.3 million different 
uh, projects in GitHub. And so that's quite a few, you know, so like that's kind of, if you're using web worker, um, that really is kind of the core of like how a lot of the web worker works. Uh, so even like uh, TypeScript's playground, uh, code sandbox, stack blitz, all of these different editors are all using import scripts in a different thread. They're doing things synchronously on purpose. And so like, I don't see import scripts as ever being something that they can, at least not for the next couple of decades, remove from the platform. Um, and so like, that's, that's kind of, that, that did do a lot of considerations. Like that's not something getting removed anytime today. And it's been widely, widely used by quite a few browsers, uh, big name browsers or uh, websites of how things work into a different thread. Um, that said, and the other thing I did with when I talked with the Chrome team was to make sure that this wasn't seen as like um, gaming the system for today. You know, this is how we can trick uh, Lighthouse scores and get better Lighthouse scores. Now, I want to make sure it wasn't seen as like, oh, they're just gaming the system. Let's tweak the little numbers and make sure that it's it's uh, goes back to showing the real validation. So, but no, it's doing what it's supposed to do. You know, it's the whole idea is like you do want your main thread to be as fast as possible, and you do want to put you know scripts that aren't as important into a different thread. And so that's exactly what the goal is. That's what we wanted to do. And so the better Lighthouse scores are valid. You know, they don't see this as tricking the system whatsoever. It's not like a trick for today and tomorrow they're going to fix that. Um, it is the, the what I see is like the better way to move the, the code into a different thread. That's great. I mean, because that's ultimately what it's about. It's really about the performance. Uh, and yeah. it's good that you aren't making this just as a way to fool the core the core metrics right now because right, right. <laughs> they've had that right people found ways to 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 trick some of the core metrics so they end up having to find better metrics that, that weren't as easily fooled so um and certainly doesn't behoove anybody to uh to, to try and get on uh, google's bad side when it comes to search so yeah great well you know an hour goes by really fast on these podcasts, uh, <laughs> but we we are coming to the close here. But before we do that, you know, we've given people a lot of insight into what Party Town is and how to get involved. I think we teased a little bit about Quick, uh, at least a tiny bit, and for, enough for people to learn about more. But we never really got a chance to say anything about Builder.io. So as we close out, I was just curious if there's anything else that you wanted to say about Builder or any ways that people could get involved or check out what you all are building, cool things like this and cool things like Quick. Uh, or ways that they can kind of follow you or follow the things that y'all are building? Yeah, Builder is, I mean, I was definitely attracted to Builder immediately because I've been that developer where, you know, a marketing team taps me on the shoulder and says, I want to add this landing pages. You know, tomorrow we have this big launch on the Today Show. We need this landing page done immediately. Um, and when it comes down to it, there's a lot of time of developer resources put into building these landing pages which is really something that the marketing team would love to do. You know, it's not that they don't want to do it is, and they want someone else to do it, it's that they would love to build these, these landing pages too. And so I think the part that really attracted me to Builder was that like, this kind of does answer the, um, um, that tension between, I guess, web developers and marketing is that the marketers have full control to create landing pages, to create how they want to, to have designers go in and, and make it look great without having to tap the, the shoulders of web developers all the time. And I think the big difference is with something like Wix, Wix is, uh, is it's hosted where you really can't go to a big company and say like, all right, the entire company's website is not gonna be using Wix, right? Like that's might be practical for some people, but the reality is for a very large organization, like you, you really can't use, um, use Wix or any service like that as like your site. Um, they have their servers, they have their backend, they have reasons for having their, their backend the way it is. And so it's kind of the sweet spot with Builder is that you're able to, um, have your existing infrastructure, existing servers, existing everything, but then at the same time have the same kind of powers of like a drag and drop interface builder 
such as Wix. And so it's the combination of the two um, and having this, you know, headless CMS, things like that. And so I would definitely encourage people to take a look. Uh, you know, it might be a good solution for you know, trying to offload a lot of the time that's going into web development, you know, offload it so that the developers can, or I'm sorry, designers and marketers can create these landing pages themselves. And then developers still have the access to create, you know, React components and have these components usable by the marketing and things like that. And so it's not just, it, it's tough to, uh, I think when people immediately think like Dreamweaver or FrontPage. Um, so that's what I learned in front page. <laughs> yeah, I, I know I learned in Dreamweaver. That was, that was my thing, but try to get that out of your head. It's not in that, that type of sense. I really encourage people just to try it out, uh, test it out and you'll see that this is drastically different than, uh, than other tools out there right now. Um, give it a shot. Um, really it, it's actually a pretty cool tool. I'm not just saying that as someone who works there, but as someone who's actually used it and, and again, as that developer who's been the person who's, who's created all these marketing landing pages, it saves a lot of time there too. Well, certainly coming from somebody that's worked on Ionic and Stencil, uh, getting that vote of confidence for the cool work that you're doing now at Builder on both Party Town and Quick uh, is certainly high praise and certainly a reason for people to check those things out. Uh, but that is it for us today on this edition of the Modern Web Podcast on Party Town and hacking the platform and solving tough problems, Quick and Builder.io and many other things. Thank you, of course, to our guest, Adam. As always, the conversation does not stop here. You can find Adam at, on Twitter at Adam Bradley. So that's A-D-A-M-B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. You can find me online at RoboCell. As for the podcast, you can find us online at moderndotweb.com or on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T. W E B. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Adam. And we will see you all next time. Thank you. This podcast is sponsored by this.labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T H I S D O T dot C O slash labs. Ta-ra.